So I wanted to step back a little bit and uh, move away from talking about particular films and produce a few of these pieces reflecting on themes, having walked through um, what for me are Spike Lee's most important films and the themes that emerge from them, both in particular uh, films as we've seen, but also as themes that uh, structure his uh, cinematic works uh, broadly across his career. This first theme I want to talk about is music. I said, uh, no, I've said a number of times in, in the particular film podcast pieces that Stevie Wonder is really um, the key to understanding Spike Lee's conscience in any film where either a Stevie Wonder song or a Stevie Wonder performance is featured. And that for me is like these, uh, this moment of interpretation where as we watch Spike Lee's films, I think we have to look for Stevie Wonder or a sort of equivalent to Stevie Wonder. And that equivalency has to do, again, and this is, I think, where a Black Studies hermeneutic really makes a difference, right? that, that you find these figures who have a place within Black life and the Black cultural imagination that are exceptional. And Stevie Wonder is one of those people. Uh, certainly, uh, he is for Spike Lee. And so he, uh, Stevie Wonder's music and performances, his songs and his performances, because it's not always, you know, Stevie Wonder singing a Stevie Wonder song. It's not always, you know, a Stevie Wonder song done by Stevie Wonder himself. Um, but anytime Stevie Wonder is a part of that equation, right, you, you have a certain understanding of what Spike Lee is after. Right. And looking for those equivalents in particular films, I think, is one of the keys to unlocking uh, Spike Lee's thought inside of a film. And it's a reminder that, you know, what cinema is sound and image. And I think so often, um, and Spike Lee certainly encourages this in his own films, we look to the visual. Right. Uh, you know, but one of the things I've come back to, and especially in his early films, discussing his early films, is Spike Lee's work with camera and filter and lighting to put black bodies on a screen. And that's at the level of the image and the craft that uh, he as an artist employs in order to to put bodies on the screen. But there's also sound and the sonic signifiers across Spike Lee's films are just so important. And the music really sort of comes, I think, at three levels. One is this ambient music, right? Music that sets a mood or is atmospheric, right? Tries to, to set a tone to pull us emotionally into what the narrative and the visuals are already doing, right? It's a sort of, you know, either an entryway into that emotional space or a sort of seal around that emotional space, depending on how one relates to the sonic and the visual at the same time. That music plays an essential role in either establishing uh, our way into that emotional space of a story, or it uh, seals what the visual and the narrative have already done. Either way, that atmospheric sense of music is, is of course, crucial, but in that way, I think Spike Lee doesn't have anything that's particularly special. I think that's what cinema does generally. You know, any cinema with music, the atmospheric dimension is immensely important. 
I've always liked that Spike Lee does that with jazz. And I think when he does that with jazz music, you know, uh, Terrence Blanchard being one of his longtime collaborators, um, you know, is of course featured in When the Levees Broke um, as, a, as a witness, right? And, and as a sort of almost like a co-director at a certain, in certain moments. But as a musical performer, Terrence Blanchard sets the soundtrack along with Spike Lee's the father, Bill Lee, um, really sets out uh, the, the, the atmospheric of so many films. And in using jazz for that, it really reminds me of this moment in Mo' Better Blues when uh, the band is drinking and uh, Drunk Bleak, or Denzel Washington's character, says to uh, Shadow, who's Wesley Snipes' character, says, you know, people today don't, don't appreciate jazz, like real jazz. All they want is like hip-hop and rock and pop music, you know, infused with jazz instruments. And of course, Shadow tries to encourage him to expand his horizons and so forth. And you know, it's it's something about the character of Bleak in the film where he just holds, you know, firmly to a sort of classic, classical jazz approach to music and the stage. Um, and he refuses to give in to sort of contemporary influences and demands. And that's part of his character. But I also, when I think of that scene, I think of how Spike Lee in some ways is doing that across his films by putting a certain form of jazz as the atmospheric of black life. So for me, while on the one hand, the idea that, that, that music in a film, sound in a film, would be atmospheric as a sort of entry level or entry uh, way into or ceiling of an emotional space, right? while that's typical and Spike Lee just, uh, that's what films do and he's doing it as well, I think in this moment where we think about jazz and jazz as an atmospheric for black life specifically, and then put that in sort of contact with what Bleak says in Mo' Better Blues, right? Written by Spike Lee, right? He's there saying something about the importance of remembering jazz as a soundtrack, right? But also a mirror of black life. And so for me, that notion of the atmospheric in Spike Lee, there's something really important about the fact that it is, by and large, jazz music. And the second sense of music is sort of, you know, signifiers of a moment. And I, you can think of, you know, Black Klansman has a sort of 70s funk sound to it. Um, you know, in some ways almost cliche and canned, but still really important um, you know, sounds of, of that era, right? Or I think probably the most famous and, and, and um, you know, one that people remember. And in this way, I think we don't remember Spike Lee's relationship to music very well, is um, Public Enemies uh, Fight the Power that dominates uh, Do the Right Thing. The intro, of course, with Rosie Perez's dance, uh, it's as, that is as iconic as it gets. But also, uh, that's the song that Radio Raheem plays as the as the emotions of the neighborhood over or of the in the pizzeria overflow turn into a fight, which turns into a riot, which turns into death and destruction. So, 
that fight the power, of course, was was an attempt by Lee to tag the moment, right? That this was a song and that this was a song that says something about the rage percolating in in marginalized black communities, such as the one he depicts, right? For all of its joy and pleasure and everydayness and humanity, it's also full of anger, right? And desire to fight the power, the police, gentrification, you know, isolation, and so forth. And you, so we could, you know, pick any number of films and find that, you know, there's certainly songs in, in school days, right, that are sort of indicative of a sort of frat party scene and, you know, these sorts of things, right? But the third sense of music is this sort of moral core of a film. And that's where Stevie Wonder, both literally Stevie Wonder, but also Stevie Wonder as a kind of figure, right? Stevie Wonder-like musicians or songs um, end up being really as important as anything in the narrative or in the atmospheric or in any of the characters in their development. Because Those songs become as important as anything else in telling us how to see what we're seeing. So when I think about that, um, you know, sometimes it has like a deep historical reach. Like uh, um, I'm building me a home, the spiritual that starts school days. But that, you know, in that song and I, 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 uh, that, that, that rendition that, that begins the film, as I mentioned in the, the very first comments I had on school days in this series, that's where Spike Lee... Uh, sets out the song in relation to images of black excellence, black beauty, black achievement, black defiance, right? To set a standard, right? That this song is connected to these people, common and uncommon people, who then built a home, and then that becomes the moral measure across school days of students. You know, who is up to that opening song? Who is up to that opening montage? The answer is no one. And that's why they need to wake up, right? They are a part of a tradition. And they ought to act and think and be like that. And that's the moral sort of trajectory of the film. But in the middle of it, right, at a talent show, right, that in, in some ways... Um, is an interruption of the film just for some musical performances, uh, which are really fantastic, um, and some humor around, you know, uh, you know, uh, performances, dancing, flirtation, all of that. But then there's this pause, that, and it's not a character from the actual film in any significant way. Sings "I Can Only Be Me," which is a Stevie Wonder song that's part of his his talent show, and what we get from that is not just the moral measure that I'm building me a home gives for the characters across the film, but instead actually tells us what this wake up would look like, what it is that one is being called to wake up from, which is this loss of a sense of individuality, this loss of a sense of, of personal invention and reinvention. And that loss comes in that moment where... Um, comes in that moment where, you know, whether it's a fraternity or a political movement or just the college's identity, one is absorbed in something other than one's own invention of self. And so that I Can Only Be Me is this song. It's very sad and longing, 
you know, what can I, what can I be if I let myself be me and am seen as me? And that's something very different than any of the character development and arc in school days. And, you know, that's one thing about school days is you can't say that there's a character in there who does, does anything or develops in any kind of way that is an out for Lee. That is the goal or the point or a, a, a person who has woken up, right? No one has woken up. So what we have instead is this question, you know, what, what would it mean if I, if, I could, if I was able to be me? I think also, although it's not Stevie Wonder, it is this sort of Stevie Wonder genre singer, uh, Al Jarreau's song that, that is over the credits of Do the Right Thing. The song is Never Explain Love. And what it is, that song is about, of course, is the title, right? That you can't explain love, that love has a way of not making sense in the context of our social and political worlds and movements, that, that love is this sort of mysterious thing, right? That it's able to overcome uh, contradictions, it's able to be sustained through really terrible conflict. And it helps make sense of the central question of the film, you know? What is the right thing? You know, what is the right thing in relation in the relationship between Mookie and Sal when Mookie throws the, the garbage can through his window and, you know, leads to the place being burned down? And that, you know, one of the things I said when I was talking about do the right thing, and I always say this when I teach and certainly when I want to write about whatever I want to write about the film, is that Mookie and Sal love each other. And it's a love that doesn't make sense. And so when you say that, you know, Mookie and Sal love each other, you know, well, why did he, you know, destroy his business? Why does, you know, Sal use the N-word? Why does Sal, like, yell at him and, you know, uh, criticize him constantly? Why is Mookie so disrespectful to Sal in so many ways? Well, that's the never-explained love, that there's a sense of love and relation in the, between those two. That is also between so many other characters in the film that really don't, uh, those relationships really don't make sense, except if you think of love as something that doesn't have to be explained. There's so many other songs we could talk about in terms of Stevie Wonder and, um, uh, and Get on the Bus. Stevie Wonder sings Redemption Song, right, which is this echo of slavery and enslavement to what we would now call toxic senses of masculine identity that the film is about, right? About overcoming those or at least charting a path away from them. And Stevie Wonder sings Bob Marley's Redemption Song, which is about, you know, how do we redeem our lives, you know, after so much oppression, after so much suffering. And that's really, you know, Get on the Bus is anchored in that Stevie Wonder rendition of Redemption Song its connection to slavery, the need for redemption, and the idea that it's, you know, it's only us, right? In this case, the men on the bus, only black men who can really come to terms with what it would mean to, to redeem themselves as individuals, but also as a racialized gender. Um, another Stevie Wonder song that sticks out uh, in Bamboozled is Misrepresented People. And that is really, um, I think, just... Spike Lee's attempt to mourn what has happened to black people at the level of the visual and the way the visual of 
minstrelsy has so degraded and so haunted our culture and our history and our memory. And, you know, what we really get in the film is how, how it, it functions as a ghost, how it haunts our everyday life, how we can't seem to move beyond it, and representations and humor are so deeply uh, connected to minstrelsy. And the cruelty of the film bamboozled, it's unrelenting, and it's so pessimistic and nihilistic. But Spike Lee's outlet in the film is this, like, mournful, not like, is this mournful song, this Stevie Wonder song about being uh, people who have been misrepresented. And just what it means to say that out loud, right, in a song, we've been misrepresented. And that misrepresentation is a centerpiece of our tragedy as black people. That's what the song is about. And that's really what Bamboozled is about. But Spike Lee doesn't have the space inside the narrative for mourning, for, for understanding like what, how deeply harmed black people have been by the very things being depicted in the film. The film is unrelenting, nihilistic, pessimistic. But the song gives that moral reckoning moment, right? And so I think if you look up the lyrics to and listen to misrepresented people, it frames what happens in Bamboozled in such distinct and important ways. Because now we look at Bamboozled and say, this is in some ways a rendition of Stevie Wonder's song, right? At the level of the visual and of narrative. There's of course also I Run in uh, Chirac, sung by Jennifer Hudson as her character Irene um, cleans the blood off the, the sidewalk where her daughter was murdered, which connects, you know, that, that's not a Stevie Wonder song, but, it, but, but it's an, again the way a song structures the entire film, right? It's like how, you know, how do, how do you sit with the pain and sadness of loss, in this case losses to gun violence, yet still life goes on, right? Still Irene gets up the next day and has her life. And what does it mean to exist in those two places? The unrelenting stone of sadness that is the loss of her daughter and also the fact that life and the community go on. And that song is about that. I'm also thinking about the, the John Coltrane song, Alabama, which plays in um, uh, Four Little Girls, of course, because that takes place in, in Birmingham. Uh, you know, not takes place, but it's it's a documentary about a church bombing in, 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 in Birmingham, Alabama, and also in Malcolm X. And we, we hear a love supreme in, in Mo' Better Blues at the very moment when Bleak is married, has a child, goes through that transition into an alternative kind of masculinity. So I think John Coltrane plays a very special role in Spike Lee's musical imagination and the way it, it functions in relationship to his films. And Alabama is a song, and it's a beautiful song, very difficult to listen to emotionally, but it comes in both Four Little Girls and Malcolm X at moments where we need to sit with the most difficult feelings and emotions of the films. We can also think in Malcolm X of A Change, uh, change Is Gonna Come, which is a Christian song, right? Very Christian resonances and, and lyrics. 
but uh, Sam Cooke playing that role, that's as, as Malcolm X walks from his, his car into the building where, to the, to the ballroom where he, it, you know, seems as he's walking, seems to know he'll be shot and killed. And then, you know, what the bookends of, of uh, when the levees broke, the Louis Armstrong song, uh, Do You Know What It Means to Miss New Orleans?, and the, uh, that, that begins the documentary series and then the song, Fats Domino song, Walking to New Orleans, uh, which closes the documentary. And those songs are about like, you know, being in a place, but also missing a place. And so that's the sort of where I want to leave this is that what, one of the things that really interests me about Spike Lee's various musical treatments is that these song that treatments that that form this moral core I'm talking about is that these songs are about longing right they're about longing for a moment beyond where we are right beyond being misrepresented beyond having to explain love beyond this moment of seeking redemption beyond missing New Orleans or walking to New Orleans or the sound of Alabama that is looking for another Alabama rather than the Alabama of pain and suffering and lynching and, and police and state terror. In the sense of, of longing being the emotional character of the songs that are the moral core or moral sort of orientation of Spike Lee's films says something about the way he himself understands the temporality of black life. That is that the temporality of black life for Lee is a temporality of, of what's to come, right? It's a, it's, a, it's a future, right? That's what all longing is. All longing has a kind of prophetic moment, that moment where one understands, you know, we live in the present and we see the past and through a critique of that, we can imagine a different kind of future, that sense of prophecy and the prophetic. But that is something that has to take place, right, in this temporal stretch between assessment and critique and aspiration. And that aspiration in light of a history of pain is what makes time structured by longing. And that longing for redemption, that longing for unexplained or unexplainable love, of missing, of redemption, all of these mis senses of misrepresentation, what would it mean to be represented, longing to be seen for who and what one is, right? Whether that's the misrepresented people of bamboozled or the I can only be me of school days. This sense of longing for me is key because it's the character of all of these moral core songs in Spike Lee's cinema. But in that, he's also telling a story about the kind of temporality and affective temporality that's endemic to African-American life. The sense of longing. We might call it hope, but I actually like the less political, less idealistic sense of longing. The sense of exhaustion and desire at the same time. Exhaustion with the past and present and desire for this future that one knows is possible, but one also knows seems always forever deferred. <laughs>